Hi, you're listening to The Cardigan, a special series from Selfie, focusing on the intersection of psychology and self-care. I'm Kristen, a licensed therapist, a skilled catastrophizer, and mom of four. And I'm Matthias, a licensed therapist, side-eye aficionado, and a dog dad. We're going to be taking your mental health questions, chatting about our own journeys, and looking at psychology in the media. We hope you learned something about yourself, the people you love, and the world of mental health and maybe laugh a little along the way. So go grab some tea and your favorite cardigan and we'll meet you on the couch. All right. Hey guys, welcome to Selfie. Well, we have a lot of interesting and relevant topics to discuss today. We're going to be asking um, or answering a listener question about opposite genders rooming at college. That um, There's lots of facets to this. Um, many dorms are becoming, you know, cross-gender. Um, how does sexuality influence this? Um, and I think it leads into some interesting conversations for those of us with younger kids around slumber parties and what happens when your child is gay or bi and how does that affect who you allow to spend the night. So we're going to be delving into all of that. We're also going to talk a bit about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial that's happening. We're going to try to take a clinical look at some of the psychological terms that have been thrown around, some of the aspects of domestic violence and what that looks like um, and, and what it looks like when we have gender expectations around domestic violence. So we will get to that in just a bit. But first, we're going to do a mental health check-in with one another. Hey, Matthias. Hey, Kristen. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I traveled a ton in April. A whole ton. I was. Yeah. I think I was gone as much as I was home. But my last trip, I went to Mom 2.0 Summit, which is a blogging... I guess it's not even a blogging conference anymore. It used to be. Remember when we blogged? Oh, yeah. Remember that? <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, back in the day before we had all these micro platforms. But um, it is a, you know, influencer conference. And it was my first conference since the pandemic. Hmm. Have you been to a conference since the pandemic? Not in person. Yeah. No. Yeah. It was... It was interesting. I mean, it was interesting for me personally. Like, it, it just took me a while to get my rhythm back. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, conferences are overwhelming pre-pandemic. So I can't imagine trying to go into that yes. now. <laughs> yes. Very much so. But I mean, it was also so good. I It was yeah. so good to see, you know... It's interesting how in my life, these kinds of professional conferences, and this is probably true in many fields, I'm in a somewhat isolated field. And these conferences are when I get together with colleagues. It's a huge time for brainstorming, for connection. And, you know, these were sort of built in gatherings a couple times a year for me for the last decade. And then they just stopped. Right. So I was seeing people I haven't seen in two years that I was used to seeing, you know, every couple months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that part was nice. Yeah, that is nice. Getting to see all those folks. I mean, I feel like I have a list of those people in my head that I'm thinking of now Uh that I deeply miss. I think you being one of them. I was just about to say, I mean, yes, we would normally see each other at a conference Mm -hmm. or two every year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I was there, I was speaking, I was moderating a panel about teens, social media, and mental health. Um, Very relevant, something I'm really passionate about. But one of the people that I spoke on the panel with was Frances Haugen, and she is one of the individuals who was working for Facebook. 
she is a genius. I don't even, I mean, I'm not even going to do it justice what she was saying. She's a brilliant person, which is why she was working at Facebook. But she, as a result, was one of the very few people in the world that has full, that had full access to Facebook's research on the effects of Facebook and Instagram on people, right? Mm -hmm. And so she quickly learned that they knew that they were damaging kids. They knew suicide rates were increased. They knew that kids were being served um, pro-anorexia content, and they were hiding it from shareholders. Wow. So she found this out. She then collected the data on the sly. She turned it over to the SEC. Um, and, you know, this created a whole case against Facebook lying about what they know. But it was right. really, it was a fascinating discussion because I think for the first time it really clicked in for me. I think for a long time I've kind of looked at teens and social media as a parenting issue, mm -hmm. which it is. I mean, it absolutely is. But I've kind right. of looked at it exclusively through that lens. Like, you need to monitor your kids. You need to be involved. That's how we fix all of it. But talking with Francis really convinced me that this is a much larger, like this is a social justice issue mm. because we have a mental health crisis with social media. Like the research is clear. It's not even up for debate. Suicide rates have gone up considerably, like 60% since the wow. advent of social media. Wow. Um, all of it, everything across the board. I mean, it's just, it is bad for their mental health. And the thing is, as she was explaining, these tech companies are so savvy. I mean, they're so smart that they know how to track what your eye is looking at mm -hmm. from your phone while right. you're looking at your phone. And she's like, they know how to identify kids that are under 13. They know. Because they can see, like, for example, in a given day during school hours, if everyone's phone on Instagram is all from the same place... And these are younger accounts. It's like, okay, if it's in an elementary school, that's telling you that these are probably underage kids. Right. There's no verification. So you're supposed to be 13 to be in these platforms. We all know kids way under 13 are on. <laughs> but she explained just some other, you know, things that these companies could do to reduce things. Like there's, you know, they have all these algorithms. If they know that, like, a child is on an account, they can slow things down. They can stop serving as much. They can make it less interesting. Mm -hmm. They can verify accounts. They can spend way more money on reducing bad content. And they don't. Right. And so, yeah, I just, it was an interesting conversation where I really got more passionate about like, no, we actually have to hold these tech companies accountable. Mm -hmm. Like they know what they're doing. And they're not right. doing anything about it. And they have the money and resources and technology to do it. And they just don't. Right. So it was interesting. Yeah, that's wild. Like, like I feel anytime I hear about this or actually look into it, like, <laughs> the, it's condemning it what is. they know and what they are not doing in order to, to try to keep people safer. Like right. They, they just... They don't care, it seems. And they don't care. I mean, when you look at the profit margins right. and when you look at the technology they have at their fingertips, like they know exactly how to do everything that they would need to do. Yeah. And they just don't. Oh, gosh. And, you know, I mean, I think that this is one of those things where we're just at the forefront 
you know, and it's just like cigarettes. I think in 20 years, there's going to be warning labels. There's going to be, you know, changes. There's going to be, I mean, for a long time, a a child could walk into a store and buy cigarettes for a parent or themselves. And then we changed the laws because we started to understand how dangerous it is. And I think that's coming, but it's going to sacrifice a whole generation of kids while we're waiting. Yeah, it feels true. Yeah. But right. it definitely affirmed my choices to be very stingy on how much social media my kids can access. Mm-hmm. Like, they get 30 minutes a day, and then that's it. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's gosh. so hard. Another somewhat related story, but one of my kids had a birthday party this week. Mm. And, you know, invited kids over. And, like, I can't even tell you. These kids just completely ignored each other. Really? They were just on their phones the whole time. Whoa. It was just like this dystopian. It was so gross and so disheartening. Oh. Yeah. That's like horrifying. It's horrifying. (laughs) I I, I find it horrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just a reminder to parents, you know, if you're sending a kid to a birthday party or anywhere, you know, maybe have some conversations about etiquette. (laughs) phone etiquette i don't know throw me a bone guys oh gosh anyway how's your mental health you know i'm doing okay i guess i don't know kristen like i feel like with everything that's going on in the news right now especially this week like i just feel discouraged even you talking about like you know, in 20 years, we'll have laws. I'm like, I'm sitting here like, well, I'm not optimistic about any laws anymore. Like, it's just Right. Like, do we even want laws? Do we want to burn it all down? (laughs) Like, can we trust people to work for the common good? Like, it's just, yeah, yeah, it it feels really discouraging. (laughs) And so so I feel like I'm feeling a lot of that today. Um, And and a lot of, like, I just feel like there are a lot of things going on in life right now. A lot of them are, as we have talked about, choices that I have made. They're, they're all my choice. <laughs> but it's just like. <laughs> well, that makes it better. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> oh, fine. Oh, yo, you chose it. Yeah. It's fine then. <laughs> you can't but, complain. Right. Precisely. Yeah. No, no. Like, my book was due a couple weeks ago. It is not even close to being done. Oh, no. Um, I'm really sorry to hear that. That's it, so stressful. It's, it is stressful. And I mean, gratefully, like, I have, I do have more time now. I've talked to my publishing team. Like, things are going to be okay. It's working out for the better. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's stressful. My dog is having some health problems, which is mm. also stressful. So th- there's just, like, a lot. But... I did decide in the midst to re-download Tinder. <laughs> well, that seems like the logical choice and not at all self-sabotaging. Right. Not at all. <laughs> so talk to me about why you deleted Tinder and then talk to me about why you chose to put it back on. Yeah. So I haven't been on many dating apps for quite a while. I know we've talked about online dating on here before, but I go in spurts where... <laughs> I'll be on the apps for like a month or two and then get off because I'm just like, this isn't what I want right now. Uh, but I was feeling a couple of weeks ago, like, or last week, like, I think I'm ready. I'm ready yeah. to get back on, see what's out there. Like, I kind of want to try 
a different approach where I'm a little bit more proactive about getting to in-person now that I feel far more comfortable going on in-person dates. And so it's actually been really fun here, like the last five days that I've had it, like lining up some dates, have gone on a couple dates. Okay. And it does feel like a nice, currently, a nice respite from mm-hmm. everything else going on. A distraction. Uh, yeah. A healthy yeah. distraction. Yeah, I think so. What are your, you know, if you have them, like, do you have parameters of, like, how to keep yourself sane while on dating apps? Sane? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah. how well, do you I'm, keep it healthy? Yeah, you know, I think that's what I'm playing with right now. Because mm-hmm. before when I've been on them, I haven't. I, I've just kind of been like, I'll go in and see what happens. And it really hasn't been a good situation for me. And this time, I'm trying to be, I think, in some ways, less selective and more selective at the same time, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, less yeah. selective with who I'll swipe on, more selective with who I will end up going out on a date with. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But also, like, paying attention to my sense of, like, gut instinct after an initial date of, like, did I like that or not? And if I have any sense of, I don't think this is going anywhere, just saying it. Yeah. Instead of going on a couple more with that person. That feels important, but that feels hard. Like, it would be hard. It is hard. Yeah. It's so hard. It's are like genuinely or they seem at least like genuinely nice people yeah and to say like i really enjoyed hanging out with you and i don't think this is going to work like immediately (laughs) yeah but it's like at the same time you don't want to waste your time right right and i have done that a lot before of where i have just been like well i don't know they were nice like let's see what happens and yeah like that's not worth it for anyone yeah so yeah well I'm interested to hear more stories. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as someone who, you know, I just have never had that experience of online dating. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it seems fascinating. As an introvert, it also sounds exhausting. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Like, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm an introvert too. And yeah. it's, it's a lot. It's a whole lot. Okay. Yeah. I am laughing because your two thumbs up today, I can see it in the show notes, and I knew I knew it would be this. I literally <laughs> didn't put it because I'm like, Matthias will put it. <laughs> What's your two thumbs up today? <laughs> the show Heartstopper. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty adorable. So describe it's, it for anyone who doesn't know what it is. Yeah, so it's a new show on Netflix that is just like, it's based in the UK, and it's high school love between these two guys and it, it is just like so pure and mm-hmm. cute like mm-hmm. it's just these two guys kind of falling in love with each other one of them's out the other one mm-hmm. isn't and um he's like the star of the rugby team and you know there's all the questions about is he into guys or is he straight it, it's just like this really light yeah show and it, i think the thing that i really love about it is it avoids all the like tropes yeah <laughs> of these kind of gay teen love stories not that there are that many out there but I, I kept waiting for like 
deep betrayal to happen or mm-hmm. you know something along the lines of where it's just really sad in the middle of the season like a lot of those other shows are and that didn't happen with this like yeah they have they communicate clearly with each other yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's lovely they're like it's a really so healthy relationship they are yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree because I think, you know, it's it's a show that's targeting teens, wouldn't you say? For sure. And I feel like like when we look at shows that target teens, they tend to really heavily rely on a lot of soap opera drama. So much, yes. Whether it's Riverdale or, you know, there's always a love triangle, people going back and forth. Like, no one can ever be happy for more than five minutes. Right. Someone's cheating, someone's betraying. And yeah, it is. I completely agree. It is just sweet and innocent and lovely. Um, yeah, and my my kids are obsessed with the show, but my girls read, I think there's four books. I heard that, yeah. And so my girls had read all the books before. So I'm a little bit curious. I don't know the answer to this. I could probably ask them if it is if the first season was just the first book and so they oh. have the other three books to make into seasons or if that was all of it i don't know i don't know either i sure hope they have three more seasons to go <laughs> well it it seems to i mean i don't know i my sample size is small but it seems to me like the teens in my life are obsessed with it yeah well and all of the gays my age seem to be obsessed with it as well oh well i'm sure i mean it's such like representation that you probably didn't get at that age right like for so many of us like millennial especially gay men but not just gay men there's a lot of really good trans representation on the show Mm -hmm. uh, lesbian representation on the show like it's, it's not just gay men but yeah like we it's living out something that we truly did not get to experience but wished we could yes and so it is such a odd like it's a mix of sheer delight watching it and I cried like I felt like I grieved through it as well mm. deeply watching it being like I wish I could have had this yeah absolutely yeah. I mean it was so different I, I'm thinking of I mean I'm trying to think of shows that I watched as a teen that had gay characters mm. and I really can't think of many yeah like maybe there was a gay character on Melrose Place <laughs> I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. So definitely wasn't a prominent character. Right. Um, definitely no like Disney type shows. Cause this is a, Dis- it's not Disney, but don't you, wouldn't you say it's like akin to a Disney show? Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's Disney adjacent. Yeah. It's just pure like optimism. Like yeah. it's not like euphoria. <laughs> no, no, it's not at all. It's not at all. Um, I agree. It's actually made for children. Right. um, As opposed to made for adults, but all of the children are watching it. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, I love that, like, I mean, there's, you know, but even speaking of Disney, like, they have openly gay characters. Yeah. Like, that's just so different than what we grew up with. So, I love it. It's so good. So good. Yeah. What about yours? Well, we watched, um, my older three kids, we watched the um, Gerard Carmichael special, Rothaniel. Have you seen that one yet? No, I haven't even heard of it. Okay. I had not heard of it. I had not heard of him, but he he hosted SNL a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. And his opening monologue was very fascinating because, you know, he acknowledged, like, none of you know who I am. Like, he's, like, the least famous person who's ever 
hosted SNL. But he talked a little bit about this comedy special he had done. But comedy special feels dismissive for even what it was. It was like performance art slash group therapy slash comedy. And he's a very funny person. But he did a special where essentially he gets up on stage and talks through with the audience having come out as gay in a very Christian home. He's black as well. But how it related to family secrets. I mean, as a therapist, you've got to watch it. You'll be all yeah, over it. That because sounds he, so good. He starts with talking about the family secrets he grew up with in terms of like his dad was, you know, had fathered other children outside of his marriage. And they all knew, but nobody would talk about it. And how that kind of contributed to him keeping secrets. I mean, it was just like a family systems case study to be a psychology nerd. But it was so powerful. Mm. Um, And I made my kids watch it. I mean, they they enjoyed it. But I knew that it was going to be powerful. I just heard enough that I was like, we're going to watch this as a family. Um, And I just think that there's like a lot of important lessons in it about Mm. authenticity and, and the damage of secrets. It was so good. And it was actually, it was produced by Bo Burnham. Oh, okay. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but it's very good. I highly recommend it. It's really not appropriate for teens. Okay. <laughs> There's some very <laughs> frank discussion about sex. Okay. Um, but if your teens are mature, I would still recommend watching it. But just know that that is there. But also know that all of that they've heard at school. <laughs> right. Yes. Totally. <laughs> and probably seen on the computer. Probably. <laughs> Probably seen on the porn pocket that they carry around. Yep. <laughs> so, but yes, highly recommend. Rathaniel. I think it was on HBO, but I'm going to check right now so that I'm saying it right. HBO, yes. Okay. I need to check that out. That sounds amazing. Yes. you'll. I mean, you'll love it. It's such a – oh, and then he's just like – he's letting the audience just talk. Hmm. And the audience – it was, uh, it's so good. It was like a love fest because the audience is like talking back and just being like, well, how, you know, how can you move on without your mom's approval? And like, we love you. And it was just, wow. it was so sweet and supportive. And and then he's just really honest about like, I, I want to take that in, but I can't, like, I can't, I, I hear your words, but I can't accept it. Yeah. Right. Right. Very powerful. Hmm. Anyway, well. Um, let's move on to this listener question. So we had someone ask in the selfie Facebook group, they were asking about, they had a kid going to college and their child wanted to room with someone of the opposite gender at college. And they said, you know, that these friends, because of their sexuality, there's no concerns about like, you know, what if they fall in love and, and then fall out of love and now they're roommates and, you know, that awkwardness, but they were just kind of asking, like, what do we do here? Like, is this okay for opposite genders to share a room? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think absolutely yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think a lot of it come, in my opinion, and I realize, like, this is certainly not across the board. Yeah. But I do think a lot of these questions of opposite genders or different genders rooming together 
can they be friends? All of those things I think are rooted in in kind of like truly like heteronormative patriarchal mm-hmm. systems mm-hmm. that do not allow for trust and agency. Um, that I think is really important. Like, yeah, I, I have a lot more to say there, but like, what's what's coming to mind for me is like I I remember when I came out to my parents and they used like sleepovers against me mm. <laughs> as like punishment of like mm. if, if you do this like you won't be able to have your friends over for a sleepover because so if you're like gay you, can... you can't you can't have friends over to right. spend the night and <sighs> and i mean like that was devastating because i'm like that's not an issue like just trust me yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and maybe it could have been an issue but even then like let's talk about it instead of just ban it outright Um, yes okay so let me ask you this as a parent because i know this is true for many parents let's say we have a kid who's whatever their sexuality is and they want to have a friend spend the night that they maybe could be attracted to like how do how do we navigate not punishing our kids like you're saying but at the same time not creating opportunities for like our kids to basically like way too early explore their sexuality under our roofs. Totally. I I, I mean, maybe this is too simplistic, but I mean, is there a realm where like a com- like conversation can happen? Like, is, is there a realm where y- you can chat that through in a way that is both honoring, but also setting boundaries? Um, and, and maybe is there a scenario where you say like sleepovers aren't going to be okay here and here are the, here are the alternatives. (laughs) Here is what you can do. Um, yes. And I will say, even in this conversation, I have been very cautious about sleepovers Mm -hmm. in general. Right. So for me, like one of the rules that I've kind of always had is like, everybody sleeps in the living room. So there's no there's no closed door. Right. And it's not just because I think, you know, what if they're all going to make out? I also think, like, somebody's going to bring their phone that has no filters on it and they're all going to sit around and watch porn or, you know, like, right. there's a lot of other things that can happen. Um, so my rule has kind of always been like, yeah, you guys will sleep in the living room. Um, or, you know, I mean, it's a flexible rule. Mm-hmm. But um, when, I mean, my kids definitely, <laughs> everybody's by. You know, all their friends are by. And so, you know, if they want to have a friend over, I might say, like, let's have two. Let's have two friends over. Mm. Like, let's, you know, let's have one more. But, yeah, it is – it's all very confusing. (laughs) Well, it is really confusing. (laughs) But I think that I I really – I'm kind of taking to heart what you said is, like, you can't make it a punishment. Right. You can't then, like, remove a privilege. Right. And, and also, I, I feel like giving that agency uh, some sense of boundaries are important, yes, and some sense of trust agency, you get to make choices here. Be- because, you, like, uh, otherwise, I feel like we fall into this message of, like, men can't control themselves around mm-hmm. women, boys can't control themselves around girls. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's simply not true. Like, <laughs> it is not the case. Like, we have agency over our bodies, even when they're raging with hormones. 
many gay people can tell you about their experiences of being in locker rooms, like so yeah. on and so forth. Like just because you're attracted to each other doesn't mean that it is going to happen. Um, but I okay. Though, although as the parent of two teen boys, yes, straight boys, I don't know if they do have control. <laughs> I don't know. Like when you're like trust, I'm like no, there's none. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's zero. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, well, I think that I mean that raises an interesting question because, like, as I'm talking, I'm realizing like. Oh, my experiences and I think the experiences I'm talking about, like there are a lot of social prohibitions in place, right? Like, mm-hmm. whereas like, what would have it been like being in that same situation where there wasn't social prohibition? Like would like if the opportunity was there, probably would have taken it. Right. So Yeah. <laughs> so it's really yeah it's really hard because i definitely right. for sure would not let my boys have a girl spend the night in their room sure right i mean that makes sense because i i think a hundred percent like no matter what talk i could have with them yeah <laughs> like all the talking in the world right and if they were given the opportunity they would take it yeah so i, I don't mean, know it's really hard but it is it's so complex <laughs> all that to say though in terms of the college question and yes. opposite genders being in the same room if like let's just you know it's a straight girl and a gay guy yes go for oh it gosh, like right. what would the problem be <laughs> no, right zero <laughs> <laughs> zero problem um there but yes i think where it gets tricky is i mean it, it's funny because my daughter just went on a trip to new york with her school mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I want to be careful at the risk of outing anyone, but let's just say that, like, the room situations were very mixed in terms of sexuality. And she was laughing because, you know, the teachers were like, the chaperones were like, girls may not go in boys' rooms. Mm -hmm. And she's like, do you know what's, like, do you understand the potential that's already here that you're, like, missing because of these heteronormative roles? It was just funny. Well, 100%. Like, I just know so many stories from my conservative Christian undergrad of the girls' dorm, <laughs> the women's dorm, of, like, <laughs> there were so many couples in that place. <laughs> really? There were so many. <laughs> okay, well, I went to a conservative Christian college, and I would be shocked if that was the case. Huh. But I'm older. Sure, sure. I'm a little older. So I would be shocked. Well, no, actually, okay. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they were very secret, but they, yeah. they've, they've come out since. Like, I mean, that was a long time ago. So. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial. Yeah. Okay, so Kristen, I have to admit, I have seen like a TikTok or two, but I really have no clue what's actually going on. Okay. I will do my best, but I am not a journalist. Okay. Um, so this is coming from, you know... Um, me just watching from the sidelines. But what I understand to be happening is that about five years ago, Amber Heard, in the midst of the Me Too movement, um, accused Johnny Depp of having physically assaulted her a number of times. Yeah. There were photos. Um, she wrote some op-eds about it. It was very public. 
The result was that he lost many jobs. I mean, his career was basically over. Johnny Depp was canceled. He was assumed to be a wife beater. And then he has been he has been in the process of suing her for defamation. So the the court case, what the court case is looking to prove, um, is that he did not physically abuse her. Mm-hmm. But what seems to be coming out in the court case, which is not on trial, this part is not on trial, but it does seem to be emerging that what in fact was true was that she was physically abusive towards him. Mm. Now, I would say, having watched a lot of it, that I do think that they were both verbally abusive to one another. Sure. It was a verbally abusive relationship. It was very volatile um, from both sides. But it does appear that she was uh, just from listening to tapes that they've put out and listening to their own voices and things that she has admitted on tape. It does seem to appear from her own words that she did hit him several times that she did throw a bottle at him and cut his finger off. um, And that he was very distressed by this. And then I think what was more compelling to me, just knowing the dynamics of domestic violence relationships she would then intimidate him she wouldn't she wouldn't let him take a break in a fight Mm. so he would be asking for space um sometimes hiding in the bathroom and she would shame him for taking space in the fight and kind of goad him like come back out here like you know be a man man up a lot of that kind of gender stuff yeah um but i think what was like the most heartbreaking in terms of, and I'm just trying to stick to, cause I don't want to get into speculation. I'm just trying to stick to the words that came out of their mouths that were played sure. in the courtroom. Um, there was an instance where he said like, you know, why have you gone and said that I'm, ver- that I'm physically abusive? Like I'm the one being abused. And she basically like mocked him and said, go ahead and try to tell that to a court. Like no one would ever believe you. And that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But it brings up so much. I mean, there's so much there that we could talk about. What I think is interesting about this is, you know, when the Me Too movement first began its grand swell, which I am so pro the Me Too movement. Yes. But one of the kind of hashtags, memes, slogans that came out of it was believe women or believe all women. Mm -hmm. And I think we are seeing where when we don't have nuance – you know, right. And when we go to an extreme to correct what was a massive, massive problem, which is women not being believed. But then when we slap, you know, a carte blanche, like we believe everyone theory on things, then you can have women who purportedly, according to the therapist that was interviewed, have, you know, some significant personality disorders and, and um, you know, psychopathic tendencies lie. Right. And accuse someone of something that they, in, in fact, were the ones doing. So right. it it just did reveal, like, we can't just believe all of a gender, a right. race, a sexual orientation. Like, we, right. we can't assign truth to a, a, an entire swath of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like that, that nuance piece is so important. <laughs> and, and being able to press in, ask the right questions, 
sort out <laughs> what is actually going on in a situation as opposed to I mean exactly what you're saying, just believing because someone is of a certain gender or sexual orientation. Um, yeah. And, and, and even that is so complicated. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, even that is tied into social systems and oppression. And it, it's just, it's, it is complicated. Yeah, it is. Um, the other thing that I think it's really illuminating is the gender expectations that we have around domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And the expectations are there because those are the statistics. Most of the time, a majority of the time, it's men who are the perpetrators, but not always. Right. And men can be and are physically abused in relationships. And I Mm -hmm. think we as a society have a hard time wrapping our brains around that. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, my mind is going to, I I went to a training, I mean, this was several years ago, but on domestic violence in LGBTQ relationships. And the reality, I I can't remember the exact statistics, but the reality is, is that in LGBTQ relationships, the rates of domestic violence are as high, if not higher, than in straight relationships but they're reported significantly less because of some of the the gender things and the reality that often, especially between two men, um, that men aren't believed uh, in that dynamic. Um, it, It is complicated. It is. Yeah, it really is. It is. And I think that there is a lot of shame for men to come out with that because mm-hmm. you know there's masculinity you know what's what's wrong with me that I'm allowing a woman to do that you know I just I think that men feel a lot I mean everyone feels shame around domestic violence but I yes. think that there's a unique type of shame for men yeah yeah I think that's probably true yeah mm-hmm. but I think that this case it's been very it's been very triggering for people um, on a multitude of levels. I think it's very interesting to see the people who are, um, you know, t- I mean, for lack of a better term, because people are saying it like team Johnny, you know, versus team Amber. It's very polarizing. Right. Like, what do you think it reveals about people when they are like, I don't know, like just standing for people in a domestic violence dispute? <sighs> I I, I, I I guess I don't have a lot of words, Kristen. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like we can't, I, maybe we can't escape from the reality that for a lot of people, this is the drama of the day. Like It is the drama of the day, but I, yeah. But I also think like, there's just a lot of projection. Yes. A yes. lot of projection. Yes. I'm not immune to it. You know, I mean, totally. I'm watching it and I kind of went into it pretty neutral. Like, I don't know what's happening. I have not been faithfully watching it. I'm like getting updates, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I'm curious about it. But like, as things start to be revealed and you start to go like, oh, it is really looking again from the words out of her mouth, 
like she was playing victim, but she actually was the perpetrator. I mean, there is definitely a part of me that's like, oh, I want justice now. Like, oh, no, you can't play victim. You know, and there's definitely a part of me that's like, Team Johnny, you can't play Mm. victim. Like, you can't ruin someone's life when you're the Mm -hmm. one who was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I get that, like, I don't know, we want, I guess we want justice, right? Right. Well, I, I mean, I, I think about like, the, I mean, that is a particular kind of desire. Like m- my mind goes to like being kids and I'm not trying to compare this situation to kids on a playground, but simply like that feeling of someone is telling lies about me. <laughs> Someone is telling parents, teachers, lies. It's not true. And, and then that desire for the actual truth to be revealed. Yes, it does feel like that. <laughs> it does really feel like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, yes, it is. It's all very interesting. I mean, there's much more we could discuss. Um, and maybe we'll have to table this for next week. But they did. Um, there was a, a clinical psychologist who was hired I believe she administered the MMPI, which is a very, very exhaustive battery of questions that really reveals psychopathology. Right. Um, but that therapist diagnosed her with um, histrionic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder. So maybe yeah. next week we can talk about what all of that means. It's probably a good idea. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for this week. Um, Hope you guys will check us back next week. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a heads up. We're therapists, but we're not your therapists. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy. And by making it, we're not rendering psychological or other professional services. If you need therapy, we recommend you track down someone to help. Join us online for more of the conversation in our Selfie Community Facebook group or on Instagram at at Selfie Podcast. 